passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to episode 12 of Cruel Summer, our look back at each and every G1 Climax Tournament Finals from 1991 to 2018. And this is episode 12, so that means we're covering 2002, and uh, we're covering Yoshihiro Takayama versus Masahiro Chono. And joining me today, uh, the return of one of my favorite uh, podcasters, Mr. Dylan Fox uh, of the Eastern Lariat Podcast. Dylan, how are you? WH, I'm so happy to be on here. Uh, it's a great time to do the show, and uh, it's great to be on twice, too. I feel like, uh, you know, it made me feel special when you wanted me on again. Uh, maybe that you knew that I would do a good job on the first part uh, that we did, and I really loved how the episode turned out last time. This one is a challenge for us on here, so I like that we have the different comparisons of the matches. The first one was one of the best of all time. And this one might not have been one of the best, but I'm very happy that we can be on and talk here, even though it's a little later, uh, just to spoil the, the alert for the listeners out there. Uh, we're doing the show a little later because uh, I bailed out earlier on the show, unfortunately. Uh, accidentally, not on purpose, but I'm so happy we made time for this. And I've been waiting for this all week, WH. So, yeah, me too. Uh, too. I'm very, yeah. So this uh, this particular show, we're going to look at, uh, like I said, 2002. Two, Takayama versus Chono. Uh, we're, let's get into the the, the t- tournament itself, the, the the format. So the 2002 G1 Climax was a 12 man round robin tournament held from August 3rd to August 11th. The G1 started uh, in Osaka and moved across to the cities of uh, Takamatsu, Fukuoka, and Hiroshima. And we saw the debut of Yoshihiro Takayama in the G1 Climax in 2002. And he would be in the A block along with Hiroyoshi Tanzan, Kensuke Sasaki, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Shiro Koshinaka, and Yutaka Yoshie. In B block, we find ourselves with uh, Masahiro Chono, Osamu Nishimura, Manabu Nakanishi, Yuji Nagata, Kenzo Suzuki, and your re- favorite wrestler in mine, Tadao Yasuda, Dylan. 
<laughs> oh yes, uh, a legendary performer in New Japan. He was just coming off an IWGP title reign earlier this year. It was just a few months ago. Yeah. Um, pretty. Yeah, you know, not to speak ill of the dead, but like, uh, like whenever I see him in the roll call, the video roll call of IWGP champions, it just it just seems so glaring that I'm sorry. He 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 really stands out. Him, Sap. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't. Who else Fuck. is like uh, Brock Lesnar? Uh, Lesnar, I get it. You know, from a business standpoint, like he didn't yeah. do much, but like I think to some degree, to some degree, there's value in having Brock Lesnar listed as an IWGP champion. Uh, oh, Nakanishi, I don't think deserved to be the IWGP champion, even for like a gold watch reign that that they gave him. <laughs> you know, winning over Tanahashi and Korokin. But yeah, sometimes I look at that. And I'm like, yeah, it's like when I see if you roll, if they did a roll call for the triple crown and you see Ryota Hama there, I'm like, why the fuck is Ryota Hama uh, listed as a triple crown champion? He did not deserve that title. All I have to say about that is, can you please tell that to my co-host on the Eastern Lariat Striga, when he, whenever you see him or talk to him again, tell him that Hama didn't deserve it and see his reaction. I think it would be very funny. Oh, oh, maybe, no. maybe when he listens to this, he's going to appear on, yeah. again on a future episode. When when he listens yeah. to this, maybe he will tweet it out like, you are so you and Dylan are so wrong. No, Ryota Hama did not deserve to beat. Who did he beat? Was it Suwama? I think it was Suwama at the time. This is around 2010. It was, either, it, was, it was either Suwama or it was Kojima. And I think he ended like a long reign. I'm just like, why? What a waste. What a complete waste. Uh, it, was a, it was Muto doing like gimmick booking. He should have given it to, I don't know. Who else was in there? Maybe you, you could have jump-started Sonata like early yeah. in his career. Who knows? I don't know. Like It's not really something I would have done. So like Tano Yasuda, you know... Like I said, Taro Yasuda, uh, Nakanishi, and Bob Sapp are just also glaring mistakes of people who got IWGP title shots because they really didn't do anything with those belts. Bob Sapp, of course, was hugely popular in Japan as a pop culture figure, but but he didn't do anything with that belt. He he just shit on that title. Same with like Lesnar in his own way. And same with yeah. Yasuda and Nakanishi in their own ways. I don't want anyone to say, oh, you're just biased because Bob Sapp is, you know, like, he's not Japanese, he's not white. No, it has nothing to do with that. It's He was shit. He's shit as, like, yeah. Lesnar, but at least Lesnar had a lot more name value. And, like, he has the name value now. He's, you know, he's yeah. he's a star. He's a worldwide star for wrestling. Bob Sapp is nowhere to be found. Tato Yasuda, unfortunately, passed away, but he never really did anything with that belt. Um, and Nakanishi was just like a hiccup in the history of the title. So that's just my yeah. feeling about that. Similar to Hama and the Triple Crown, like with, with Nakanishi, it's like they both had it for like a, a month maybe and, and knocked it off uh, pretty much. Um, like I think Hama, I think he actually beat either Kojima or Suzuki, but I think Suzuki actually won of them. So it must have been Kojima and then Minoru Suzuki beat Hama for the Triple Crown. Yeah, I think, I think this is like Kojima's big, you know, yeah. reign. Uh, I'd have to look that up. But anyways, let's get back to yeah. New, New Japan. So yeah. I, I listed the participants in each block, Dylan. Which ones, which block sounds more exciting to you and why? Um, in terms of the block, the one without Shono. <laughs> it, it is my favorite. So uh, it, but so, no. So, so A block. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
who are in those blocks? Run those down real quick for me. Okay. A block, Takayama, Tenzan, Sasaki, Tanahashi, Koshinaka, Yoshie. And then in Chono's block, B block, Chono, Nishimura, Nakanishi, Nagata, Suzuki, and Yasuda. Okay, those are really mixed bag blocks, uh, both, both of those. Like, there's some that I really like, and like Nagata was at a really hot point in his career, uh, from an in perspective, not a business perspective. Um, but they had a lot of things. I'd probably have to go with A block, to be honest with you, because remember, Tanahashi at this point was not the Tanahashi we know. He was a young lion, kind of like just coming off, like King of the Hills teaming with Kenzo Suzuki, Tanahashi. Wait, which team uh, was, was uh, which Tanahashi team was the Swing Lows? Was that him? Wasn't that him and Suzuki? Uh, yeah, I think with, that, that was a, a group or something. With uh, with Kensuke, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they were a team called the Kings of the Hills <laughs> on, the, on there. Uh, they were big fans of Hank Hill's TV show right, in America. Right, right. I, that's, that's what I that's what I always think of when I see like you know Tanahashi's listing on like say Wikipedia or or Cage Match in tag team with Kenzo Suzuki. King, isn't it? Like they're the king of the hills, like the, yeah, they share, yeah, they share the crown. Yes, uh, obviously, like dual kings <laughs> right now on, on here. But yeah, I think the swing loads was a faction with Sasaki. With Sasaki you know, you know, I don't you, know what the point of that was. Well, you, you yeah. hear the name swing loads, and I'm just like, what is that in reference to? Hmm. <laughs> I I don't know, but we'll we'll, we'll not <laughs> d- delve too deep into. Uh, the uh, the implications of the name of that group, but let's yeah. get back to the G one. Uh, so let's <laughs> talk about the path to the finals, Dylan. So we have Takayama's path. He beat pretty much everyone in his block except for Kensuke Sasaki, and then Chono's path was uh, you know a little less uh, decisive. He lost to Nagata. He drew with Osama Nishimura, and then he beat everyone else in his block. Who gave the idea to have a 30-minute Shono match <laughs> in 2002 is what I want to know with Nishimura. When I looked that up, I was like, what? And I love Nishimura. He's like a great wrestler. I've always respected him a lot. But 30 minutes with Shono, there's no way that could have turned out good. Well, <laughs> I, I feel. who's booking New Japan at this point? Masahiro Shono. <laughs> I'm going, going, going. Right, he, he's the booker at this point because this is like post yeah. This is post Choshu after Choshu leaves. Yeah. To form uh, um, World Japan, World Japan with the the Magma title, what a great belt that was! Uh, oh yeah, and then yeah, so Chono's booking this stuff, and I think there's a lot of interference from my understanding with like the Inoki office. So it's it's a kind of a kind of a mess in this company. I feel. Yeah, a very questionable time, and you and during the tour during one of his days off, Chono. You, uh, perhaps his greatest match of this whole tournament was when he faced quote unquote three masked men and he beat them on a three on one handicap match, uh, overall. And that was the start of the Makai Club. They were kind of like getting onto that right now, but early on they didn't have names yet. So it was okay. just three guys. Okay, so we mentioned the Makai Club and they're, they're a factor in here yeah. because Takayama's affiliated with the Makai Club. So, Dylan, just for our listeners who might not know, what was the Makai Club? The Makai Club was kind of so many things and so many things that <laughs> weren't right, I feel like, in New Japan at the time. But essentially, they all loved Inoki. Like, that was, the, that was their group, more or less. And some of them wore, wore masks. Like, Shibata was a Makai Club member at one point. They were all kind of shoot-style kind of guys. 
uh, like Murakami was around that at times. They had this guy that was like a manager. I don't remember his name. Uh, Hoshino. There was somebody. Yeah, yeah, that might have been who it was. Uh, he was like a big manager for them, getting a lot of heat. So this was very much, uh, and very sad to say, because this was uh, after Muto had left New Japan and taken over All Japan, which led to uh, a lot of sports entertainment, quote-unquote, era of that company. New Japan is kind of following suit with what we would see here with the Makai Club, lots of interference in matches, similar to what you mentioned. Um, and like I said, they're just kind of like a cult that worshipped Inoki. It was kind of their gimmick, but and they were going to take over New Japan from people like Shono and people like that. So what, what I have to say, what's with like New Japan as, as, a, as a whole in its history, having this fetish for groups called with the word club in it that do a lot of bullshit outside interference, Dylan. I don't understand this. That's true. Maybe they were a very much a prequel to the Bullet Club that would come later, who also had a lot of garbage wrestling uh, when they came in. But they, they didn't love Inoki, uh, to, unfortunately, when they came in. They had a completely different background. But I don't know whose idea this was at the time. I guess you would have to say Chono. He had a lot of power right now. Um, but I, I don't think it was really very successful, <laughs> I have to say, overall, because this was really, we're getting near, maybe we're not completely there yet, but I, I kind of think we are, <laughs> now that I think about it. But this is really the dark time of New Japan that we're in right now in 2002. Uh, not the greatest, and, and they had some success um, at the box office, but it was, and like I said, a very dark time. And this was right after when Pride was building up strong. New Japan was really hurt. Nagata had been knocked out by Crow Cop at this point. So he he lost a lot. Even though he was the IWGP champion at the time, he still had a lot of credibility that they lost. So they decided to go in this more sports entertainment direction, uh, which was counter to the real quote-unquote wrestling that Inoki had. Uh, so I don't know which one was better because you have Yasuda, the quote-unquote real uh, shooter in Inoki's world. And then with Shono, you have this Makai club with uh, three masked men. And also China would come into New Japan around this time. Yeah. Again, I don't want to speak ill of dead, but like China's involvement in, in New Japan was, you know, oh. to, to be fair, just not, not, nothing against her personally, but to me, it just came across as like shock value. It was meant yeah. not to enhance the in-ring. It was meant to enhance like their, 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 their public eye. You know, like their public awareness, because it, it it shocked a lot of people that you had someone who was famous for being in the WWE, and who was and they were doing like kind of intergender stuff with uh, her in New Japan, which was unheard of at the time. Um, it, it was not a great time. Over? Yeah, how did that get over in Japan with all that? Uh, I don't know if you would know, but they had like things where. You know, I, I remember they had this tag team title match with Tenzan and Chono because they were tag team champions around this time. Uh, they faced China and Great Kabuki <laughs> in a tag team title match at one point. And I remember seeing that match. That was very early in my Japan wrestling uh, experience, Japanese wrestling fan experience. And I remember seeing that and I was like, man, New Japan sucks. <laughs> That's what I was thinking when I, when I saw that. Uh, Noah's way better. Uh, I like this company a lot better. See, I, but, I yeah, really... They, they, I, I agree with you. Like that sentiment is like something that I think really played a lot into the success of Noah in the early two thousands. Because like New Japan, for a lot of the the longtime fans of New Japan, no, New Japan became so unwatchable with Makai Club, with all the sports entertainment, with the involvement yeah. of Joni Lara in, into the company, and and just things like like having intergender tag team title matches. It's not you know you can 
I'm not going to debate the merits of intergender, what have you, but it's not something that was done it, to traditionalists. They were like, we don't want to see this. If we want to see women wrestling, we'll watch Joshi, right? We don't want to yeah. see it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And we don't certainly don't want to see like kind of this like, like, you know, sideshow of like this sports entertainment infecting our, our traditional strong style wrestling. So to me, I, I've heard from people who are, in, who are longtime fans of New Japan who've come back since right but at that time they were kind of driven away by it and they and the ones that did stick around they were they would say to like they would say stories about they would go to like shows in smaller spot towns like fukuoka they not fukuoka but you know like takamatsu or whatever right and like the not the famous places like osaka or tokyo yokohama or hiroshima but and that the, the crowds were dead because no one wanted to go to these shows because the, the, the booking was atrocious. They weren't creating any stars. They were devaluing the IWGP title at the time. So it, it it's really amazing that they were able to come back from that. But I think the silver lining in retrospect of that decline in New Japan's business was the rise of Noah, Pro Wrestling Noah. And I think also like yeah. Dragon Gate and also yeah. like... You know, like there was something to be said for Muto's All Japan that it did do well, that it was gaining steam, and that people were looking towards that as and like dissatisfied New Japan fans could go to All Japan because that's where Muto went, that's where Kojima went, and that oh they with you know Kaz Hayashi they were creating this junior heavyweight division that was kind of similar to the feel of New Japan's junior heavyweight division at that time or like uh, in the late '90s and early 2000s before all this mess happened. Yeah, and you know, the funny thing is, uh, you mentioned that even the juniors didn't get away from that sports entertainment feel because they had stuff like Minoru Tanaka becoming Heat. That was right around this time as well. Uh, so they really kind of took all of that away. And remember they had, you mentioned Muto, remember they had a fake Great Muda, like a second Great Muda around this time too? Uh, I, he was a member of the Makai Club originally but he t- undertook a fake great muda gimmick but he had the, th- the thing that separated him is that he was just great muda in all caps <laughs> in english I, all caps. i do remember this who who was in that gimmick there was someone i don't kind of well known in that gimmick wasn't it I, I don't know if it was somebody well known but i don't i don't even want to think about who it was i know that he was not great whoever it was okay I gotta, uh, i'm gonna have to look this up like while we're uh, yeah. doing this show at some point, but yeah. Yeah. Um, get, getting back to the format of the tournament, <laughs> let me find yeah, my... the tournament. This was a terrible time in New Japan. That's that's all you need to know about this. The only good thing around this time was like Boss Rutan <laughs> uh, showed up around this time. That was uh, uh, he yeah. was the hero of New Japan in 2002 because everything else was like going way down the drain, and they were just trying. In all honesty, like I said, this was right after uh, about a year ago, prior to this, maybe. Uh, around that time, Nagata got knocked out and lost all credibility because of Inoki's stupid, stupid uh, booking that, that he had at the time to put him there. So they were really trying a lot of different things. Remember at the Dome show this year, too, they had a match where you mentioned the Joshis. They had like Manami Toyota in a match uh, where they had a crossover with all Japan women. They had everybody, Momo Nakanishi, these people there. Uh, you know, like it was it just kind of a crazy scene at the time in New Japan. They were just throwing stuff at the wall. And that, that's kind of what I think Chono's booking strategy was. Uh, just look at all this bullcrap we talked about. That He's really just throwing stuff against the wall and hoping something sticks. And I don't think any of it did, uh, that, which was the craziest part of all this, because none of this really has a lasting impression other than us laughing about it, you know, 15 years later or whatever, right? 17 years later. At this point. Yeah, exactly. So 
back to the tournament. So we have yeah. the, the format is that the two top point getters in each block, so first place and second place, would face the top two point getters in the other block in the semifinals. So the format would be so A one, which is be you know first place in A block, would face B two, which was the second highest point getter in B block, and then they would have the other semifinal would be A two versus B one. So in the semifinals, we saw Takayama uh, defeating Nishimura in the semifinals. So Nishimura made it into the semifinals. He was, a, I guess, he was the second top point getter in his block. And then we saw Chono taking on his protege uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan in the semifinals. And of course, uh, Takayama would go into the finals, and Chono would go into the finals. So let's let's get to the actual match, Dylan. So we start with. Yeah. Uh, like I said, we talked about before, Takayama is part of the Makai Club. We see Tadao Yasuda uh, in his corner, seconding him. Uh, and right off the bat, Dylan, Chono hits the Yakuza kick on Takayama. <laughs> and uh, uh, Takayama fires back. And, you know, at this point, like, you know, crowds into it. They, they seem like in, at the start, I feel they seem like a very subdued crowd. But they, you know, the, the Yakuza kick is you know a legendary move in New Japan. So they, they they pop big for whenever Chono hits it. You know the you know like you know this is the first of maybe a hundred times that he'll use this move. Uh, I gotta say one yeah. thing. This is this is deep into like Chono's like artistist look, right? Like the black leather Yakuza type image he's trying to create. And I gotta say one thing. He looks like this this particular outfit. He looks like he's wearing a giant cod piece that makes him look like he's really well endowed. I don't know why I noticed this, but I was just like watching this match. And I'm like, whoa, Chono, dude. Like, I don't, I don't know if they created Viagra at this point, but maybe, maybe that's, he's like the, 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 the test subject for Viagra in Japan. And he's, that's why he's got this like outfit on to, to like compensate for the effects of it. Listen, Chono was the inspiration for Viagra in Japan. That is a fact. We need to put that on the Japanese Wikipedia, I feel like. Uh, I need you to get onto this, WH. Put that in his article because they have a lot of crazy stories. It, it's a Japanese Wikipedia on wrestlers is a lot different than the English version. So you got to put that in, that he is the uh, inspiration for Viagra because I did not notice this at all. <laughs> I, I will admit that. But maybe that's my fault. It's my own fault for not noticing. I will say this. Um, at this time, Chono, he had just come off. Like I said, he had taken over as Booker earlier in the year. Uh, he had this th- another 30-minute draw, which must be his favorite <laughs> booking technique. Uh, he had another 30-minute draw with Misawa and Noah. So he was kind of branching out on his own leading up to this. And when he came out, you'll notice when he hit, um, it, like I said, my version that I watched I made sure to, because I had this match already. I'd, I'd seen this match already. I had all the G1 finals on my own hard drive uh, at this point. So my version was the TV Asahi version. So when he hits the Yakuza kick, they immediately call it the Kenka kick. They don't call it the Yakuza kick on TV because they didn't want to. Because uh, you know how in Japan, Yakuza, they could get offended if you're they're portrayed the wrong way, kind of. So they wanted to shy away from all that with the, with the Kenka. Uh, they called it something else instead. They never really actually stated that, even though that was obviously his gimmick. Um, he came out with these gold chains on, too. I, I don't know if you noticed these. This was what I was looking at. I wasn't looking at his codpiece, but I looked at the gold chains that he had. He looked super goofy because he <laughs> he wore them even as they introduced him, which I thought was very funny. 
uh, overall. The crowd loved him, though, early on, despite all of this this horrible, like, um, mobster-slash-dad look that he has going on. Uh, just the crowd loved him, so I did notice that overall. I think he's he, he has that cachet. You know, he's one of the three musketeers. Yeah. He's the only one left. Hashimoto's gone. Mudo's gone. He's the only one left. He's to to them. I think he's like their savior, even though he's creating all this bullshit in backstage with yeah. his with his booking policies. But you know, I've got to make a point. Like we we take a shot of the crowd, and lo and behold, who's in the front row? Antonio Inoki, Dylan. Why is Antonio Inoki? Oh. In the crowd of the G1 this year? Uh, <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> like I said, um, Inoki, I don't know. He just couldn't stay away. You know, we don't know. Maybe he, he I don't know. <laughs> like, I can't even begin to explain this era of Inoki's thinking on top of it, let alone Shono's. Uh, but Inoki at this time was really at his peak craziness, I feel like. So he, yeah, they, they cut to him a ton of times. He was practically the third member of this match. I feel like with how often they cut to him early on because oh, we'll, we'll get uh, back to we'll get back to him. You know, like I right away about they that. Showed, yeah, right away they showed him. Uh, also, uh, it's worth mentioning that Takayama, he is at his peak as well, not in craziness but of overness. <laughs> uh, this was right after his Don Fry fight. Uh, it was like two months prior to the G one. So. He was super over with this crowd. When he came out, there was this guy with a huge sign that said, no fear on it. Uh, that's kind of like his team in All Japan with Amori and kind of like his catchphrase even at this point. Uh, great sign. And I don't know if you noticed his attire that he had. I noted the fashion sense because I wanted to keep up with you with the uh, ring attire sense on here at WH. So I noted his shirt. Do you know what it said on the back? Did you did you notice what it said on the, well, on the back? Well, I watched the New Japan World version, and it doesn't have any of the entrances because they can't get the music oh, okay. rights, apparently. So, oh yeah, yeah. you're gonna have to let us know what did it say, Dylan? It said, "I'll never lose on it." The, what a cool T-shirt! I feel like I, I wanted this Takayama T-shirt that he had. Yeah, so I had the TV Asahi version. So, did they call it the Yakuza Kick on the New Japan World version? No, probably not. Probably not. Oh. Like, <laughs> okay. if, if they're not calling it that on the TVSI version, they're definitely not going to call it on like the the New Japan World version of it. I I think they probably use the same term, the Kenko Kick. Uh, Yakuza Kick yeah. is mainly isn't that really from WCW? Yeah, yeah, that, that or, or the Mafia it. Kick, right? Yeah, Mafia Kick too. Uh, there. Uh, I know that this was like a controversial thing at the time, but they, New Japan just went ahead with it anyway. Uh, when, it, when it came to this Yakuza gimmick for Chono, and hey, he pulled it off. You know, you, you got to give him credit for that. Like you said, uh, this was uh, near the very dying days of Team 2000 at this at this point. Uh, we'd see Blonde uh, Chono in, in a, a little while, so Chono at this time was going through a fashion crisis for sure, but the Yakuza still stayed at this point, even though they had to call it the Kenka Kick on TV Asasi to not offend anyone. So good stuff yeah, there. Exactly. And like you mentioned, Team 2000, this is his facts. And this is what the NW Japan morphed into after the death of WCW. And they couldn't use the NWO brand anymore. So they became Team 2000. Basically, everyone who was in NW Japan shifted over to Team 2000. So Tenzan, Go- like Tatsutoshi Goto, uh, Ohara, uh, Gato, Jeto and Ghetto and Jado are in there, I think, at this point. Scott Norton, maybe even Jeff Farmer. Fake Stick, yeah, yeah. Super J, yeah. 
Yeah, Super J. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think Kanemoto might have been here at this point. I remember when he turned heel. That was right. Yeah, because T- Tanaka had become heat at this time. So Kanemoto was there. It's good that the, that they had one good junior member, <laughs> at, at least in this group overall. But it was just a weird time uh, here with Team 2000. He came out and everything. Like you said, they couldn't get the rights to the music, obviously, because he had Biggie Smalls in his, his theme, uh, pretty much. So I'm sure that was not allowed uh, for New Japan World. Uh, Takayama had his own theme, so uh, they should have showed his interest, entrance at least with the No Fear sign. But yeah, it was just a very strange time in New Japan right now. And this match, um, the crowd was into it. Uh, they they had a smart deal, like you mentioned, with him going for the Yakuza kick right away. And that lit up the crowd and everything. And, to, and Takayama threw a roundhouse right away that looked like it would have killed Shono had it connected. Uh, he had no no fear, no pun intended on that one. So the crowd loved it. It was a great start to the match. But then the match continued. Was it, the problem? Th- that's the problem. Yes, it continued. They started, yeah. uh, you know, like so they're, they're they're doing the hot spot at the beginning, like the crowds lit up. But you know, at th- then they start devolving into like this, you know, this trading forearm smashes. That's very prototypical of of Japanese wrestling matches in any in any company. And then you know, get back to a shot of Anoki. And at this point, he's just looking at yeah. his watch while like ten, like Takayama has Chono in a hold on the ground and I just said you know Inoki dude I know exactly how you feel right now I'm looking at my watch I'm looking at my phone I'm like bored out of my mind watching this rest hold from Takayama on Chono in this rather at this point really unspectacular match so I, I felt for Inoki there he's in the really hot sumo, sumo hall in August I'm sure he's not comfortable I'm sure he's just bored out of his mind. He's probably like, man, I can't wait to leave. I want to go to the bar. I want to go get some yakiniku. I want to get some Korean barbecue. I want to go to like the, the hostess bar after, talk to some pretty young ladies, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, fuck, when's this match over? That's what, that's, I read all that in his mind, just on the expression on his face, Dylan. That is so deep, what you just mentioned there, with all of that. And I think I had that same look that you and Shono had at this point when they kept showing him in the crowd. Uh, I was wondering, why did I pick this match to come on to WH's show and watch this at this point? Like, what made me choose this over the other options at the time? Uh, so I was questioning my own sanity at this point. My only thought on this, I'm going to defend myself a little bit for making this choice. Takiyama at this point was one of my favorite wrestlers in the world in 2002 and I thought this was one of his greatest time periods so I was hoping even though I knew Chono I knew my feelings on Chono he's very charismatic I thought he would be super over maybe Takiyama could get something great out of him and Inoki maybe he thought that too maybe he thought Takiyama you know Inoki probably respects Takiyama a lot after that Don Fry fight uh, but even he and his own company looked very bored by all of this so that should, that should tell you something well, was was Takayama the the NWF champion still at this point? Yeah, I think that was yeah, I think that was right around there because so, they had another match later on for that. Yeah, so so definitely, you know, Inoki very very much respected Chono because he resurrected a title. I think he sealed to give to to Takayama. <laughs> <laughs> great, yeah. great, immense, tremendous booking by by everyone involved in this company at this point. Uh, so let's get back to the match. At at this point, uh, you see uh, Chono locks on the butterfly lock. And I, I made a note that he looks gassed. And yes. I also made a note that this is the around the 10-minute mark of this match. So Chono's not in the 
best shape of his life. He he's he's really over not really overweight, but he's he's overweight. He's look looks a lot bigger than he did in like 1997. Definitely from 1991, which is like I think his peak as an athlete was 1991. Um, before the neck injury was when he was good, pretty much. Before the neck injury, before before Steve Austin. Basically, just some backstory on that for people who don't know. Chono was a was you know like one of the top stars in New Japan. He was a great wrestler. He had a match with Stone Cold Steve Austin when he was studying Steve Austin in WCW. I I I was it in a G one or was it a different match, Dylan? I think that might have been a different match uh, because that must have been after he won it uh, at, at that point. So basically, what happens is in this match with Steve Austin, Chono is on the receiving end of a, a power driver and. Basically, what happened to Steve Austin years later with Owen Hart, where the neck is not the, – the head is kind of peeking out of the bottom of the, the person applying the hold, so he's not protected. Like, he gets a stinger from Steve Austin's pile driver. So it, it's kind of ironic that like Steve Austin would have heat with like uh, Owen Hart for a long time because of the, the pile driver from Owen Hart. And, but he did – the exact same thing, not on purpose. Of course, none of this is on purpose, obviously, right? Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying they're they did it on purpose, but like there is a lack of, I think, understanding in my in my estimation, in my opinion, from Steve Austin to like, hey, it was an accident. You should understand that you did the same thing. The same thing happened to you. I won't say he did it, but like it happened to him and Chono <laughs> before. So it, it was really ironic. I felt the way Steve Austin. Uh, kind of felt towards Owen Hart, you know, after the singer. Understandably, he's hot at him, but hey, you have a very short memory, I think, you know. But to, back to the point of Chono, Chono is, because of this neck injury, he, he can't work out that much. I think he's, as a booker, he has to be very social with sponsors and, and like, company people. So I'm sure he's going out a lot and drinking and eating, like, probably every night or so. I don't know. I'm just my guess about that. But he, he does not look good. He's gassed in the 10-minute mark, and he's applying this very long butterfly lock onto Takayama, and it, it's really boring, Dylan. I'm really not enjoying this at this point. No, and a lot of his offense, even early on, uh, up to the butterfly lock, whenever he would go on offense, the crowd would pop huge, but it all kind of sucked, <laughs> to be honest with you. Like, everything he did was kind of weak. I remember the arm bar he put on at one point, the cross-arm breaker. Uh, I thought it looked horrible uh, for, from a technique. Uh, Takayama tried to, uh, you know, bring some life to this match, I feel like, but it, it, he wasn't having it in the butterfly lock at that point. No, and uh, then, So it was just, yeah. And then after that, like, you know, Chono, I think, okay, Noki's here. I'm going to lock on the Cobra Twist onto Takayama. And then they, so yes. he, put, he puts Takayama in the Cobra Twist. They cut to Inoki, and Inoki looks bored. He's just like, oh, my God, I'm, is this match still going on? That's what he's thinking. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure of it, Dylan, you know? But but things start to look up. Takayama starts going for his big knee lifts, his signature move. Yeah. He, and then he yeah. hits the Everest German for a big two count, and the crowd pops for this. Probably because they're like, oh, my God, this match is finally going to be over, and we can get out of this godforsaken sweat box. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that spot with the knee lift. That was finally, like, after all of this, uh, pretty much. Um, you know, Takayama did hit the knee lift early on, and Shono sold it great, came back with another... Yakuza kick, which he hit probably 50 of in this match. But Takayama, when you mentioned that spot with the knee lifts, the ref had to pull him off. They showed Team 2000 on the outside going nuts. I thought that was a great spot uh, overall. So uh, that was probably the highlight of this whole match, pretty much, was when Takayama finally 
uh, got on offense. Uh, Chono went for the low blow early on uh, coming up after that. Uh, so it felt like the match was finally picking up. The crowd was really into this at, yeah. at the moment. I will say that. Yeah, and, like, and Takeyama keeps like the excitement going. He hits a flying knee, taking both guys outside of the ring. And that at this point, they're both trading big kicks to each other, and they knock each other down. Uh, another big knee lift, a uh, series of knee lifts from, from Takeyama. Cover on Chono, two count. So he kicks out at this yeah. point. So, so Chono's really booking himself strong, taking these like really... Big devastating looking moves from Takeyama, but it, they can't keep, you know, the 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 Viagra spokesperson down at this point, Dylan. You know? So, <laughs> yes, uh, I love it. I love that we discovered this on the show. So, and then we get we get more brutal Nilas from from Takeyama. He's 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 the star of this match. He's he's doing everything he can, d- digging not really that deep into his repertoire. Let's be honest, but he's he he knows like what going to pop this crowd and those are his knee lifts and he's going to make them look as brutal as possible so kudos to Takeyama for that so after these knee lifts Chono is down uh let's see uh he he Chono comes back he hits a spinning heel kick on Takeyama he drops Takeyama down with a toe hold and applies the STF the dreaded signature move of Masahiro Chono at this point uh Dylan yes um the step over toe hold face lock at, at the moment right now for Chono. Uh, the, both of those moves, the spin wheel kick and the, because basically he sets it up really great because he hits the drop toe hold and he points to Takeyama like, I'm going to do this. And the whole crowd stands up when he hits, and then he finally locks in the STF. Uh, so that was great. And Takeyama did a great job of selling this whole move pretty much because the STF, in reality, I mean, at least to me, maybe you disagree. But to me, the STF is a really weak submission, just technically, I, I feel like. Uh, but you, it's all on the cell, pretty much, how you make it. So Takeyama did a, a fantastic job here. And even when he got to the ropes, you'll notice he dead-weighted right away. He sold it like he was, uh, you know, dead in the water at this moment. So I thought Takeyama did a great job with the STF. Well, I felt he was in this move for like two to three minutes. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I, mean, I, I can imagine he's just like, I, I imagine he fell asleep. Big in this hole, he probably, he pro- <laughs> Chono probably, you know, he got the face lock on. He whispered, Takeyama-san, two, three minutes, okay? Hi, okay, okay. And then he just, he probably just had, and then probably Takeyama, because of the heat, because of, like, the, the physical exertion he's already displayed in this match, probably he fell asleep. So he's not really dead weight, Dylan. He's just asleep, okay? Okay. Uh, very real-life selling from Takeyama, then. Uh, he, you know, he's, it's a shoot. It's turned into a shoot now with the STF. It will put you to sleep. Uh, through boredom, not necessarily through any pain. So at at this point in the match, Dylan, can, can you recall what the the sequence of moves that we are treated to at this point from Masahiro Chono? Well, I believe afterwards this is the fi- the finishing stretch we're talking about right now, and I think it went something like this: Chono hit a yakuza kick. Yes. Then he hit another yakuza kick. That is true. Then he had another Yakuza kick. Number three, yes. Yes. Uh, and he kept going and just hit Yakuza kicks until this match ended. He hit, <laughs> what in, this, in this particular sequence, he hit f- five Yakuza kicks in a row. He paused because yeah. he probably, they all look weak. They all look like they're nice la- la- lazy. They're terrible. And he's yeah. probably gassed yeah. at this point again. Okay. Totally. So totally then he, he recovers enough to start hitting, guess what? Another Yakuza kick. We're at six. Seven. I know, man. Eight. Oh, finally, he covers him. But it's a two count. 
Oh my god! Oh my god! So so, so Takeyama kicks out of this eight in a row Yakuza kick sequence, and then he gets up, and then Chono he's got he's thinking, what am I gonna have to hit him with now? Okay, he's gonna hit him with the most devastating move in his arsenal, which is Dylan. The Yakuza kick. Yes, number nine. And then, for, just for the denouement, the coup de grace, he hits Yakuza kick number 10, and one, two, three. <laughs> Mercifully, the match ends. Yes, there's a big, I wrote down, there's a big pop in the building, but I, I thought it felt flat to me, this this finish, oh. I, that was terrible. Uh, I'm going to say, having been in Sumo Hall, as most people know who listen to this entire series and listen to me at Post Perez when I talk about Sumo Hall in August, is that I'm going to say probably a lot of those people are just happy that they can leave the building now. Oh my god, this was horrible. Like, I don't know whose idea this finish was, but I can only imagine Takeyama was happy with it because he got to survive so many of these stupid Yakuza kicks, but... I just thought it was such a lame finish, like super flat, uh, anticlimactic as could possibly be. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know. Who, you know, well, I, it, was I Chono. It. it was Chono, wasn't it? You know, it has to be, you're talking about Chono being the booker. He, he booked this match, obviously. Um, yeah, obviously he, you could tell watching it. <laughs> I, I feel like, but I just thought this was an awful finish. Definitely one of the most anticlimactic of the G1 finals at this point, because I watched a few of them since we did our last show, uh, just uh, just because I was interested more than anything. Um, but really, in terms of a finishing stretch, this had to be the most anticlimactic finishing run of any G1 that I can remember. Okay, so this is in uh, 2002, right? So this is uh, yeah, this is the 12th G1 final. So let's let's go through them and see if they're. Be- I will tell you if they're if this match is better or worse. Than the the, the the other eleven matches. Okay, so Keiji Muto versus Masi Chono. It's not better than that match. Oh uh, <laughs> no! Chono versus Rick Root. It's not better than that match. Uh, Hase versus Fujinami. Not better than that match. Uh, okay. Chono versus uh, Power Warrior Kensuke Sasaki. Not better than that match. Uh, Muto yeah, that versus Shinya right. Hashimoto. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was saying that Power Warrior match was a really weak match for the time, but it was still better than this one. It was, was definitely, better, definitely better than this. Uh, Muto versus Shinya Hashimoto, not better than that. Uh, Riki Choshu versus Masahiro Chono, not better than that. Uh, Kensuke Sasaki versus Hiroyoshi Tenza, not a great match, but this is not better than that. Uh, they kept that... They were smart about that match at the time, in 97. Yes. Yeah, very, very smartly. Yeah, it's one of the shortest matches. I think it's like less than 10 minutes or something, as I recall. Yeah, I think it's like an eight, yeah, eight or nine minute match. Okay, 1998, which is the previous match we reviewed. Hashimoto versus Yamazaki. Definitely not better than that. Uh, 1999. Nakin- so now we're getting to 1999 and 2000, which is the you know two in a row for Nakanishi in the finals. But he's, he's fighting Muto, so it's not better than that. And he fights Sasaki, which is not a great match, but it's still fun. It's still it's a breeze to watch, right? Like it goes really fast. Not better than that. Muto versus Yuji Nagata, definitely, definitely not better than that because that's the match where Muto made Nagata a star. So if you know, like, listen to that show that I do with Wei. We talk about it. it that's that's a star making performance from both guys. It's so this match is not better than that and i can definitely tell you dylan the match that follows it the year after in 2003 is way better it's you know it's uh it's akiyama versus tenzan which is an awesome match that was, 
that was my favorite G1 final out of all of them. So, like I said, uh, one of the worst to definitely one of the best. I absolutely loved that Akiyama Tenzan match uh, at the time. So, uh, this match, the only ones I can really compare it to that I think even come close were the two Sasaki matches uh, with Shono originally and Nakanishi. But I think I think I have to agree with you that those were better too. Uh, and the original Nakanishi match with Muto was at least them trying some, to build somebody new, even though it's probably the worst person of the four guys that they had. Uh, at least it was trying to build something new. This really, what purpose did this even accomplish? Chono winning at this point, because uh, the only thing I can think of is what you kind of mentioned and alluded to earlier on, that at this point, Hashimoto had left and Muto had left. So really, Chono was the last of the three, the three musketeers. And that's what this win was really all about, to let them know, hey, the New Japan you love as a fan is still here. Like, we still have our guy, Chono, and he won the G1. You don't have to worry, uh, which is the thinking of it uh, that I can only imagine that is the thinking of it from Inoki's part. But Chono, I think he just wanted to put himself over, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, like I said, I just don't even understand what the, what this even final really accomplished at the time. Uh and it just it didn't really lead to anything. If you noticed um, his title match, another uh, 60-minute draw with Yuji Nagata uh, afterwards out of this, an, an infamously bad match, infamously bad match uh, with poor Nagata at the time. So Chono, what's his deal with uh, you know time limit draws at this time? That's three, Misawa, Nishimura, and Nagata uh, all in a row. He's got a fetish for it. I mean... This particular match, the Don Takiyama in the, in the finals, was like a twenty minute. It was twenty minutes and twenty three seconds. It felt longer than that. You know, some of the I longer G one matches feel shorter because they're they're exciting and there's a lot happening and there's a there's an interesting, clear story being told in those matches. Um, yeah, and like, like you said, like he would have his title shot against Nagata in on October twenty sixth in Fukuoka, and it went to a sixty minute time limit draw. I I remember seeing these like in the tape trading listings, and I would be like. Do I do I want to order this? Do I want to really want to see like fucking Masahiro Chono, who's gassed out like in ten minutes, have a fucking sixty minute match with anyone, even even someone as great as Nagata is at this point? No, yeah. so I, I think I I think I ordered like the Tenru Mudo Triple Crown match instead from that same catalog. You know what I mean? So it's it's, it's not it's it's not a great time for for new japan at this point thankfully it's not like this anymore but like so you you watch the tv asahi version i watched the new japan world version so as soon as chono wins the match the match cuts so what happened in the post-match did you watch the post-match dylan yeah the post-match like i said i did i did see they had a little bit of the post-match on the tv asahi version at the moment and like i said they had the entrances we saw earlier with the gold chain i, I you got to go back and find the if you can find this online i don't even know if it's possible but if you can find the, him in the gold chains it's worth it uh but afterwards you know pretty much uh all i saw was uh the crowd going nuts pretty much he raised his arm everybody put team 2000 put this uh thing on him like a towel and he went. He got really close to the camera, which he's done. He did this in 2005 too, uh, where he got right in the camera's face and started yelling uh, during his uh, aftermath pr- promo. Is this is this the angle where he united all of New Japan under him? I think like, yeah, I think that yeah, I think that's either right now or it's coming up right after this because he would like like I said, Team 2000 would go away and he would just be a regular New Japan member from this point forward uh, to face Makai Club who were invading. Right, so he's doing the gimmick, like the angle where I think he, he, he gets Nagata, 
into the ring and Nakanishi and he says, We're all together. You, me, Cho- Tenzan, Nakanishi, we're all together. We're gonna fight these guys. I think you're right. It's 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 with the Makai Club, and uh, yeah. I can't remember what. Yeah, because he's wearing the towel. I remember, he's his big gimmick is is the towel, which has become a a huge thing in, in Japanese merchandise these days. Like every company, every wrestler has their own towel now. Um, and, and yeah, so like I I really uh, would have to tell people if they're listening to this, if they if they if they're gonna. If they haven't watched it already, to, to like listen to the review about it. If you're thinking about watching this, I you know I honestly can't recommend this match. Like you you should save the yeah. time, watch go go watch Shinya Hashimoto and Kazuo Yamazaki again if you've already watched it. If you haven't watched <laughs> it, go watch that instead. It's so much better than this match. I think the only thing I can recommend is to try and see him in the gold chains and see if he is truly the inspiration for Viagra. That's the only thing you need to watch is the opening. Uh, point up for Chono at this point. See, you're gonna go back and watch parts of this That's just to true. just to see if I'm right, and then you won't be able to unsee this comment about the cod piece. Uh, and you're welcome, by the way, for that. Uh, th- thank you very much. The, more punishment for me. I had to watch this match, and now you put this on me. Wh, I wasn't expecting that at all. I wasn't expecting our show to to go in this direction, but you you've done it. Uh, so uh, thank you for that, and. Hopefully the fans, if they, if the listeners enjoyed this match, because I remember actually I asked some people about this on Twitter, and a lot of people were saying they fondly remembered this match uh, as Chono being the last gasp of Chono, pretty much his last great match supposedly. But I didn't see that <laughs> in, in, in this match. I think he was already cooked, and at this point, I think is the lesson we learned that Chono already uh, out of it at, at this point. I think it's life. like that. The last gasp is more like you know, like he cut a chicken's head off. And the body is still yeah. moving. I, I think that's Chono's like in ring ability at this point. Maybe like I, I'm very yeah. unforgiving about him. Like super charismatic. He got through with at this point. He's with a lot of his charisma, which he had in spades. But he he's in ring. He's just so bad at this point. It's it's really glaring because like you still have guys like of his generation and other companies still going really strong. Like Muto in All Japan is is like drawing rave reviews still he's still having high level matches with kawada and tenru you have the guys from all japan kobashi Mas- uh, misawa tawa even like are still killing it in noah even they're about the same generation about the same age and then you just see masahiro chono it is like well you're so limited but you, you know your charisma only goes so far and it's just like you're having legit bad matches in the main event of a new japan show in the g1 climax finals uh, i just yeah don't don't bother watching this people if you haven't watched it already and i'm sorry you had to go through it in, in the first place but it's there for posterity you know for for com- for for you know for comparison i guarantee you 2003 is way better you're gonna love that match for those people who are following the entire series but but dylan we have to get to the trivia part of our show uh, I don't know if you prepared for this, if you did some research beforehand for recording no, today. No, I really didn't, uh, unfortunately. I wish I did, because I know I'm going to get them all wrong again. I, hopefully, uh, my only hope of this is that this is much more of my era. I'm a little older at this point. In 98, I was only 6, and here I'm about 10. Uh, so I have a little bit more of a fondly, uh, a fond memories of this era in my life let alone wrestling. So hopefully I can get, get the trivia right here. Okay. I'm hoping I can show up for you, especially since you're coming into that awesome G1 next year. I want to send this out in a positive note. There you go. There you go. So uh, 
So we're going to start with music. What is the number one song on the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States in August of 2002? Okay. Uh, At this point in time, this is something that uh, I feel like was a really, uh, I don't want to say kind of a hip-hop heavy era, like a pop hip-hop maybe. So that's where I'm going to go with my choice here because I remember this era well when it comes to that. And maybe it's just my own upbringing that uh, leads me to be biased. But I'm going to go with a Nelly song, number one. You are correct. Uh, which, which one would it be? Uh, Dilemma with Kelly Kelly Rowland, right? No. Or was it Hot in Here? It is Hot in Here by Nelly, which yeah, is appropriate I, I appropriate for this show that we have a song called Hot in Here by, by Nelly. <laughs> yeah. with, the, with, the, yeah. with the tremendous lyric... So, what is it? Take off all your clothes, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, take off all your clothes. Yeah, and then the girl at the end says, "Like I'm take, I'm going to take my clothes off." That's right. Yeah, exactly. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous song by oh. Nelly. Uh, what is the yeah. number one album? So that, the number one song is a hip hop song. So I'll give you a clue. The number one album is in a music genre that is probably I'm going to say the complete opposite spectrum of hip hop. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say that it is it a country music album. It is a country music album, yes. Okay. The only one, the only country music artist I know is Toby Keith. So um, you are correct. It is Toby Keith. What yes. is the name of the album? I have no fucking clue. But I, he's the he's literally the only country musician I know. Him and Garth Brooks. And I knew this was must be too late for him. So Toby Keith. All I know about him is remember at this time. I think it might have been right around this time. He was on the original TNA shows. Uh, and he gave a perfect, if you ever watched the, the first TNA show, which you never should, but he interferes in a match and hits a beautiful vertical suplex. So I have props to Toby Keith for that. I don't know what his album is called. Uh, and also, uh, Omori also was in TNA around this time, the original time, after he got disenfranchised from Noah. So uh, I'm two for two, kind of. I like 50% on these. I, we'll I got the artist, but I don't We'll, we'll say you're one and a half. So the name of the album is yeah. Unleashed by Toby Keith. Oh, and Unleashed. For the final pop culture trivia question, what is the number one movie at the American box office in August of 2002? I'll give you a clue. It stars a man who is famous for his uh, car racing slash super secret agent uh, franchise. Is that Triple X? It is Triple X, yes. Starring? No, I'm three. Yeah, see, I would have never have gotten that if you hadn't given me that hint. Like so, I, said, I would have probably said something like Spy Kids 2 or something <laughs> at the time. So this is this is Vin Diesel's Triple uh, X franchise, which he yeah. started about the same time as The Fast and the Furious, but one took off, one did not. Even the, the when he returned to the series, because he did this movie, there was some falling out with the studio over this franchise, and then the second Triple X movie starred Ice Cube. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Ice Cube was the star of the first one. Man, I love Ice Cube. I was a huge fan of NWA and Ice Cube's solo album, but not as an actor, definitely not as a secret agent uh, blowing up things or whatever he was doing in Triple X. Have you ever seen this movie, Triple X? Did you? And that, that's a question. So I know you've heard the Nelly album, or the Nelly song, uh, Hot in Here. Uh, did you ever hear Toby Keith's Unleashed album? No, it's not, it's not really my, my, my thing, you know, country music. <laughs> modern country music is not my thing. I like yeah. old country music because I was turned on to old country music, like how well the songs are crafted and the musicianship by friends of mine who like 1970s, 1960s. I like Johnny Cash. 
I like Waylon yeah. Jennings. This might surprise people. I like you know people like Waylon Jennings. I like. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dolly Parton. She's an amazing oh. songwriter. You know, if you listen to her songs, she's a great fucking singer. Plus, she's an amazing songwriter. I'm a big fan of Dolly Parton. Uh, but yeah, like that Toby Keith, Garth Brooks, not my thing. Not my thing. Uh, but yeah, yeah, have I seen Triple X? Yes, I've seen it. Yeah. It's, it's a fun movie. It's very gimmicky. It does not age well. Like the Fast and Furious movies age a little bit better, even the, the first two or three. Like but then there is no like resemblance to the Fast and Furious then that the Fast and Furious what has become now. Now it's like basically the Fast and the Furious franchise is now Mission Impossible with cars. Yes, exactly. I remember the original ones, and it was more like you remember street racing and all of that. Fast and Furious kind of became a thing like for a while, uh, and like you said, then it just became later on. It was more or less like you said, uh, lots of explosions and you know crazy stuff that you see in Mission Impossible with cars, pretty much. Yeah, I mean that being said, I I like pretty much all of them except for the last one with like Charlize Theron and the fucking sub in the Arctic. That, that, that movie was terrible, but the, the previous ones before that with, with like Jason Statham uh, where he got yeah. introduced to the franchise and, and they do the one in, I think it's in South America. I think it's in Brazil where they pull the heist. That's an awesome ver- installment in the franchise. I'm a big fan of that. And you know, if Benno from the British wrestling experience is listening to this justice for Han brother, I'm with you on that, but I still like Jason Statham's character in, in these new movies. So but he'll know what I'm talking about when he listens to this, I'm hoping he'll, <laughs> yeah. he'll hear it and he'll, he'll tweet it out. We'll see if, it's a test for Benno if he's actually listening. But let's move on to the to the uh, the wrestling part of the trivia, yeah. Dylan. So who is – we might have mentioned this already, but who is the IWGP heavyweight champion in 2002 in, in August? Yuji uh, uh, Nagata. He beat uh, Yasuda for the uh, – like I said. And just like I said, he faced Chono afterwards for the, the title. There you go. So IWGP now, tag team champions at this time? Uh, I think this was Chono and Tenzon. That's right. The, 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 I think this is, this is like their legendary like 400 and day run or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and remember, you have, if we go into the future, you have that Joni Lara and Great Kabuki tag title defense for them in the future as well for this title shot. You know, I've never seen, uh, you know, I've seen compilation like DVDs like back in my trade trading days of like, you know, the best of the Miracle Violence Connection. I have a best of the Holy Demon Army ten disc set, but I've never. Oh, that seen... sounds freaking awesome! But I, I've never seen a best of Choten. That's the name, their team name. I've never seen a yeah. best of Choten compilation out there, Dylan. I wonder why, why that is. Maybe it has to do with Chono. <laughs> Maybe it has to do with the fences, like the Great Kabuki, who's like what fifty-five, teaming with Joni Lauer <laughs> yeah. in New Japan. Oh, very, very strange time. But let's continue. Let's move to All Japan. Who was the Triple Crown champion in, in August of 2002? Triple Crown champion was... This was Tenru's reign, right? Yes, it's Tenru's fantastic reign. He... Uh, amazing he, run, yeah. Just did a great run. He had he had great matches with Mudo. I think he had the, he had the match with Kawada. I'm going to say he had, he had an, uh, an epic battle with Kojima. I think really elevated Kojima. Yeah. Uh, and, Two great Kojima matches at that time. Uh, and I'm going to say he also had a stellar title defense against Taiokea in this run. 
uh, yeah, like this was right around that time. Tenru, this was his miracle run because he had just, uh, he was in his 50s at this point and he hadn't really been able to accomplish in the 90s. He didn't have as much stock in terms of quote-unquote pure wrestling in the 90s as he did in the 80s, so to speak, where he had matched the year candidates. He was always a good wrestler and everything and war and everything, but he, these, this was really his return to prominence as a, in terms of an in-ring worker in 2002 with All Japan. So this is a very memorable Triple Crown title reign. Yeah, and then he after he left All Japan, we should just I just want to point out like he would then become a freelancer and he would work everywhere. Most notably, he would do the run in in Noah and the big storyline he would do there was like all the guys he was a prick to when he was like their senior. So and they were young boys, they wanted revenge on him. That was the big storyline. So like so this is we're talking about Kawada. No, we're sorry, we're talking about Misawa and Kobashi. So they find they're stars now. They're legends, just like Tenru. So they Tenru would come to Noah with Koshinaka, who was his IWGP uh, tag team partner, you know, back in New Japan, would join him, and then he would just have all these multi man tag matches with Masawa, who would like just lay it into Tenru. And the guy's like fifty five; he's old. And, and Kobashi, like, I think there was a one match. It was a multi man tag match. Tenru has this bottle of water and just fucking throws it at fucking Kobashi. Kobashi's like, he's pissed as soon as he gets him in the corner he fucking lights him up with those chops <laughs> he's not taking it easy on tender he's like fuck you and this is like and in the storyline the storyline that you thinking as a fan you're thinking oh my god this is for all the abuse he suffered in 1980 in 1988 when you know he had a towel tender's body after the match and do his dry cleaning and you know everything all that abuse he suffered from him basically what Minoru Suzuki does to the New Japan Young Lions maybe that's what Tenru was doing to the the young boys of all Japan in the 80s so they're all getting the revenge now but that was that was a hot period for Tenru as well even after he left this amazing run in the early 2000s of all Japan he would move on to Noah and have a, continue to have these stellar matches including some some really good singles matches so go seek that out it's really really good stuff he had i think this one tag match against Kenta that's fucking awesome as well. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, Tenru is one of the greatest of all time uh, when it comes to wrestling. So yeah. love him. Love that title reign in 2002. It's amazing. Okay, let's move to America. Who is the WWF champion? Okay, so they hadn't had the brand split at this point. Uh, no. Or, or did they just start this? Uh, no, they, they they, had no, sorry, they did do the blind split because I'm, I'm going to ask you yeah. who the world heavyweight champion is as well. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, because the, right around this time, they did the thing where Bish, Bischoff gave the title to Triple H on Raw when they brought oh. the big gold. Back. Yeah, and WWE title would be SmackDown. Was that... This was the SummerSlam where, uh, where Rock faced Brock, so it had to be The Rock at this point, or Brock had just won it. Uh, no, it's not Brock Lesnar or The Rock who's the WWF champion. It's still the WWF title, I think, at this point. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm getting mixed up a little bit. Uh, was it Undertaker then? Uh, not Undertaker, no. Okay, I'm lost. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's an Olympic gold medalist, Dylan. Oh, oh okay. Uh, yeah, with a broken freaking neck on top of it. Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle. I think this is probably my favorite period of Kurt Angle. It was like like 2000 to when did he come into the company 2000 and then to 2003 he just had what a what a series of matches this is like i think so they did the brand split so i think Heyman's in charge of smackdown right he, so he he created the smackdown six i think at this point you know that's i'm just going by 
by by really my really bad memory. I think this is SmackDown Six era. Uh, I think Brock's Ooh. coming into the company, so this is just amazing stuff that Angle's doing in singles with Benoit. He's teaming with Benoit. He's fighting Eddie. He's fighting Edge, Ray. Great fucking stuff in, on, on WWE programming. A far cry from what we see on the garbage they produce now, though, Dylan. Yeah, a lot, a lot different than some of the stuff they do. Well, to be fair, though, this era of WWE also had, like, HLA and Katie Vick and stuff. So it wasn't all uh, sunshine and roses in WWE in 2002. I think this was the one era that I was not watching on. I think that might have been why I got it wrong, because... Um, at this point, I had gone through a little bit of a phase of not watching. I didn't return until a year later with the, with the release of SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain, on PS2. So when, once I got that, I was back into wrestling uh, fully at that point. But I think this was my era where I wasn't watching. So I'm surprised. I got I, I was on a hot streak until you got me with the WWE uh, questions at this point. Or they're still WWF at this point. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing with me was, like, Raw was where all the, like, garbage stuff was having because i think that's where gerwitz was the head writer of that show and since so more heavily invested in raw than he was in smackdown so i think like Heyman was just able to do whatever he wanted so that's so smackdown became the wrestling show and 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 yeah Raw became like the the angle show right the storyline show and and you could really tell there's a huge gap in the terms of wrestling quality between raw and smackdown at that point uh so world heavyweight champion i was gonna ask you who it is but it's Triple H. So I'm not going to bother. But let's go. Yeah. Let's go to the to the other hot company in America. That's not the WWF. It's not TNA. It's Ring of Honor at this point. Who is the ROH World Champion in August of 2002, Dylan? This had to be very early in the, in their uh, in Ring of Honor's career, so to speak, or their run. Uh, this had to be right around the original. And I know Xavier had a run at this time was he champion still at this point though i'm kind of trying to remember uh uh see because like i said this was so early i don't i don't know if it was the first one or it was right afterwards uh, uh this so, this so it's not xavier it's i think xavier okay. had like a, it's uh, yeah. both those guys had a cup of coffee with that title we're talking about yeah. the i still feel is the definitive title reign of that championship uh, well, to me, are you sure you're not thinking of Samoa Joe? I am thinking of Samoa Joe. Yeah, this is Samoa Joe was the champion at this time in 2002, according to uh, Wikipedia. You know, no way. Like Samoa Joe was 2000, 2004. I'm calling bullshit on that. Okay, like, it had well, to be low key or Xavier. Had to, okay, <laughs> let, let me let me check. I'm pretty sure. Okay, I got this from Wikipedia. Let me check see if I if yeah. I miss uh misinformed Wikipedia ROH. Uh, no way! I'm not... Okay, I, I'm looking at. Uh, so, who? i looking this up. Please talk about who your favorite ROH champion of all time is. Oh, well, there were a few that I really liked. I actually really loved Morishima's reign uh, in 2007. I thought he had a great title run at that point. This was the peak of Morishima before he lost his confidence, uh, pretty much, and all of that. Um, obviously, uh, Brian Danielson was probably one of my favorites as well. Uh, those two really stood out to me, but Samoa Joe to me was uh, right up there as among the best. I think he would have to be no, either number one or two. Okay, so you know what? I made a mistake. Like I, you're right. It's it's it, it's uh, it's Loki. So he's the first champion. So what happened was I mixed the like I, I was cutting and pasting my my show notes. So I mixed up 2003 <laughs> with 2002. You, so it is Loki. He's still the champion. Xavier would defeat him in September of 2002 
for yeah. a, a four day title reign. Uh, no, <laughs> like, oh, 182. No, so okay, Loki. He's the first champion. He's only the champion for 56 days. Xavier will hold the belt for 182 days. I don't remember these, and I was getting all the DVDs at this time, you know, from ROH, and he had four defenses. I, that's how that's how unremarkable Xavier was. Let's be honest. Uh, and then Samoa Joe would have, in my estimation, the most epic run of that title, and no one's matched him since. Not Jay Lethal, not even Brian Danielson, and I loved his reign. Not even Morishima. You know, Brian has like the closest chance, I think, to being on the same level as Joe. Joe's 640, 45 days, 29 defenses. Like, I'm just looking at this. And Brian has like 40, 462 days, 38 defenses. Who's, who's, who's coming close to that? Nigel, 549 days, 38 defenses. Holy shit. That's that amazing. Got too long. That got long in the tooth. I, I actually wasn't a fan of that reign by the end. I thought, I thought it got too long. And you mentioned with the 38 title reigns, probably. Uh, I, uh, I love Nigel McGinnis. I thought he was a great worker, but I thought that title reign was uh, too, uh, a little too long by the end. Yeah, and then after that, it's uh, it's Jay Lethal, four hundred twenty-seven days, twenty-eight defenses. I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think he, he didn't beat Joe really. Hold on a sec, Joe, Joe, six hundred. I don't think anyone's beaten Joe for length, yeah. like consecutive length. I think Jay might have cons- like cumulative length. He might have beaten him that yeah. way. Uh, I, I, I'm hoping this current run isn't like six hundred forty-five fucking days with the current champion of Ring of Honor as, as of this recording. You know. Uh, no, oh, 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 please, please, no, uh, on there. Uh, see, I told you, you, you talked about how shitty WWE is, but actually, uh, if you listen to my Patreon reviews, uh, I did. I only did a couple of them as of now, but Ring of Honor is, is as hard to watch with Taven as champion as any WWE show. Very boring. I, 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 I can believe that, Dylan. I'm not a huge Matt Taven fan. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with him, but I, at the same time, I don't think there's anything inherently good about him either so he's just a very he's a jag just a guy right that's what yeah, matt Taven yeah, just, is. just a guy yeah, matt but, but he's more but he he's actually more charismatic than tko crying who's a more of a jag and i'll <laughs> say this about vinnie what's his name vinnie mozzarella mozzarella marseglia vinnie marcus marseglia is actually got a got, got a unique gimmick and a unique look i'm not into it but at least he's different looking than the other two jags in the in the kingdom. So, but you mentioned your Patreon, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here, Dylan. So let's let's tell people where can they find Dylan Fox uh, in terms of podcasting, in terms of more podcasting, and in terms of Twitter. <laughs> yes, listen, I had to go back because you made the mistake on the Ring of Honor champion. So I get, went back and looked it up, and I was right about the Rock being the champion at SummerSlam two in two thousand two. Uh... I think that. I am sorry. I had fucked up the entire trivia because, like, I was doing the show notes late at night. So, Dylan, I apologize to the listeners. I am so sorry about fucking up the trivia. I mean, of course. I mean, the trivia. Listen, I did it way better this time, though, than the other one. Uh, See, this is more of my my jam, though, that we had there. And I I believed you, though. For what it's worth, I believed you when you said Kurt was the champion because I I didn't really know. But I remembered that Rock and Brock match at SummerSlam, so I was just really confused about it. I just figured maybe they had a quick title switch or something like that. The Rock won it right before the pay-per-view or something like that. You know, there's Uh, there's tons of people who are listening to that portion of of the of the podcast and they're like you're wrong they're in their car they're like you're wrong ws you fucking idiot you're wrong and, I, and to, to you to all you people i i, I humbly apologize I'm, I'm really sorry seriously uh, oh well thank you that's very that's very nice of you 
Well, I can't, admit, I can't admit when I'm wrong. Like, I'm wrong. I made a mistake. I, I fucked up. So I'm, I'm sorry to everyone for, for it's taking it's that. It's okay. Don't apologize. Don't apologize, WH. This was all a long time ago. I love that Kurt Angle run, too. So let's just pretend he was a champion even more times than he was uh, from going forward. But if anybody wants to find me online, first of all, check me out on Twitter at DylanZeroSky, spelled out D-Y-L-A-N-Z-E-R-O-Sky. Um Listen to my show, the Eastern Lariat podcast, with my good friend Striga. He's opinion. He's appearing on these shows as well with UWH. Uh, I know he's done ninety six, and he'll be on another one in the future. Um, if you want to check out our Patreon, check us out patreon.com slash Eastern Lariat. We've done a lot of stuff on there. WH messaged me the other day and said so much content uh, on there because there was a lot of content that we had on there. We've taken a little break the last few days, but we're going to be back soon with some more stuff. Uh, and hopefully, uh, everybody can enjoy the show. Talk to me about all kinds of wrestling because I have another show called Lucha Talk on MLW as well, which is a show about Lucha Libre. So I follow everything a little bit. Uh, you know, US, American, I guess US and American is the same thing. Uh, US, UK, Mexican, and Japanese. I love it all. And even obscure wrestling. A lot of people uh, don't really get at me at that a lot, but I love watching wrestling for places like Chile, Brazil, Philippines, uh, stuff like that. I love just being well-rounded in my love of wrestling and seeing all kinds of different styles. So if you're from an obscure place watching this, please let me know. And uh, hopefully you like this show as well that I appeared on. We tried to do our best with a, a not the greatest match, but I think it still turned out pretty all right. WH. Well, it's entertaining. Like us bearing it was pretty entertaining. I guess. <laughs> but, but yeah, you- check out uh, the Eastern Larry Patreon that, that Dylan and Striga have started up. There is a lot of content. It's a very, it's a very new part. Like as of this recording, it's, a, it's still a very new Patreon. But there's a lot of content on there. Uh, there's stuff regarding Joshi, Pure Heart, Pure Lariat. I appear on the first show of that, uh, talking yeah. about actress girls and stardom. Uh, you had an interview with uh, a wrestler from uh, Ice Ribbon uh, Pea Party, uh, Yappy. I listened to that. That was very yep. fun. You're doing this retrospective of Shinya Hashimoto with Striga. It's really, it's been really fun to listen to. Very informative. Uh, yeah, it's a great Patreon. If you love Japanese pro wrestling, I'm gonna say like me and John try to do our best, but we're we're more of a big picture, wider, wider scope kind of a podcast. We do it once a month. Striga and 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 Dylan do their their regular podcast, which is free every almost every week, and then daily content is pretty much up there on on the patreon so go go support both of those things uh give it a give it a follow give give the the, the regular show a download go subscribe to the patreon i i'm a subscriber i'm on, I'm on the big hash level hashimoto level yeah i i don't regret yeah. it it's it's a great i i do feel though to be perfectly honest i do feel overwhelmed sometimes because between your patreon and post wrestling content i'm like oh what do i listen to oh my god there's so much stuff out there plus other podcasts that i that i listen to as well so uh it's got to be one of these train trips i take where i'm just going to listen to just everything from the eastern layer that i have on my phone yeah well thank you so much man i really appreciate all that and and checking us out and listening to it Uh, like i said we have three different tiers one dollar tier chono he was the one dollar because he's the worst worker uh, of the three musketeers three dollar mudo tier you get a lot of american content and stuff like that five dollar big hosh tier that's the best one you get all the stuff of the first two tiers and some new stuff and uh, i'm actually going to be having some uh shows doing uh other stuff besides new japan uh, doing covering some smaller promotions like Noah, Dragon Gate, DDT, and stuff like that. I even have a podcast about Tiger Mask W. Uh, that should be up by the time you hear this. So, uh, which is, which is with, the anime, right? Yeah, yeah, the anime. Yes. So, uh, wrestling 
cartoon show. I will give you a spoiler, which was not a spoiler by the time this uh, drops, but I had my sister on, who's a huge fan of anime for the first episode. So you, you get a family touch in my shows as well. So, And the first episode of the show, WH, uh, it features, first of all, I get, a man gets thrown off a mountain, somebody wrestles a bear, and... Uh, somebody's shoulder gets dislocated in a match. See, so, this, could be, this, this could be called Kota Ibushi W instead of Tiger Mask W. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is pretty much Kota Ibushi's life uh, that we have. Uh, it's a slightly exaggerated version of what Kota Ibushi has lived through so far. I think I think you're on, good, on point with that. Well, I, you know, just before we, we leave, I'll just say this. I don't think Kota Ibushi's life or career needs any kind of embellishment. I think it's pretty <laughs> way out there regardless. <laughs> just his real life is just... Wow, that that doesn't need to be made into a cartoon. His life is already a cartoon. I say that in the most positive, complimentary way. But Dylan, thank you so much for appearing on Cruel Summer again, your second appearance on the show. Uh, I want to thank all the listeners for sticking with us throughout the whole episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did talking about Masahiro Chano and Yoshihiro Takayama. And I want to say to everyone, I'll see you again on the next episode. Bye. Sayonara. Sayonara.